Section 72 of A Fair Mystery. This is a LibreVox recording. All LibreVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibreVox.org. Recording by Gabby Cowan. A Fair Mystery by Bertha M. Clay. Chapter 72 The Countess Becomes Curious. We ought to be very much flattered, said Lord Linley with a smile, as he laid an open letter before his wife. When did we leave London? In June. It is only the middle of July, yet some of our friends are growing weary for us. It was such a July morning as makes the dwellers in cities ill with envy, when the earth hangs like a huge shining jewel in the firmament of heaven, a morning when life seems the greatest luxury, when to breathe and to live is a blessing without alloy. The sky was dark blue, without even one little white cloud to obscure it. It looked so far off, so much further than when low-lying clouds touched the earth. The sun was golden bright, warm without intense heat, and the air, ah, well, it would require a poet to tell how balmy and soft it was, how it came over the meadows laden with the breath of sweet clover, how it came from the woods with the odor of wild hyacinths, how it came from the gardens with the fragrance of rose and of lily with the fragrance of every flower that blows. Then it was filled with soft, delicious thrills, with the cooing of the ring-doves and the song of the lark. Nature was in her happiest mood. The earl and countess had come down early to breakfast. The long windows were open. The perfumed air came in. They smiled as among the letters they saw one from early to doris he writes every day said lord linley quite right said lady estelle i like to see lovers deeply in love they smiled again when fresh and fair as the morning itself doris came down her face flushed when she saw the letter a sweet dewy brightness came into her eyes she laid it aside as though waiting for time. Read your letter, Doris, said Lady Linley, and the girl opened it. Ah, well, perhaps life doesn't hold a greater pleasure than reading a passionate love letter on a bright summer morning. Her dainty color deepened as she read. The light grew brighter in her eyes. My love! thought the girl how he loves me and with the fragrant breath of the summer morning with the light of the blue skies with the song of the birds there came to her a pang of regret that she was so utterly unworthy of this great pure love that her soul was so terribly stained by crime then she said to herself that she would atone for it that she would to the very best of her power make up for it that she would be so loving so tender so true he should never have cause to regret it 
for it was such a love letter as would have touched any girl's heart written with the fire of a poet and of a lover she lost herself in a day-dream in a golden trance of happiness it was coming so near this wedding day which was to bind her to early forever and free her from all care it was lady linley's voice that roused her and she was asking what friend is coming who is coming ulrich lord vivianne he does not say how long he intends remaining there is the letter read it but the countess was preparing a cup of fragrant tea after the fashion she liked best and lord linley seeing that said i will tell you about it estelle lord vivianne says he shall be passing through anderley on his way to listen and he should very much like to spend a few days with us i can but answer in the affirmative i suppose certainly it will be a change for you you have been very quiet lately we can have a picnic and a dinner party while he is here lord linley glanced with a shrewd smile at his daughter it did not seem to him wonderful that his lordship should be passing through anderley the only pity was that it was all in vain but he did not see his daughter's face it was turned from him the love letter had fallen from her hands the golden light had faded from the skies the beauty of the morning had vanished her face grew pale her eyes darkened why was he coming whatever might be the reason it meant mischief to her she was sure of it he had promised not to come near her until the end of august then he was to come for her answer what was bringing him now i must bear it i have to live it through she said to herself no matter what it may be in a dumb passion of despair she heard lady linley ask when he was coming he will be here by the end of the week said the earl carelessly then laughed a little why are you laughing asked lady estelle my dear estelle i am just thinking how eagerly you insist upon his coming as an excuse for a little gaiety he replied you who assure me so seriously you prefer quiet and solitude lady estelle blushed i plead guilty ulrich she said it must be because i am very happy myself that i like to see everyone else happy too they both wondered why lady doris was so silent it must be from sheer excess of happiness thought the countess lord linley asked will you drive with me this morning doris or would you prefer to ride or walk will you go with me asked lady estelle i am going to the street though no thank you papa thank you lady linley i am going to spend the morning in the gardens that means writing a long letter too early said lord linley with a smile she did not contradict him and lady estelle when she kissed her and bade her good morning thought how beautiful it was to be young happy and in love doris went out there was the shade of fragrant trees 
the brilliant colors of a thousand flowers, and Doris saw and heard nothing. She was full of despair. Why is he coming? she cried passionately. Just as I was growing so happy, learning to forget him and his terrible threats. Why is he coming? It is like the serpent stealing into paradise. Oh, heaven, if I could but undo that unhappy past. Standing there in the sunshine, with every blessing from heaven lavished upon her, more, according to outward appearances, to be envied than any girl in England, she saw the great canker warm of her life in its true colors. Sin had spoiled all for her. Sin, why, she could remember when, in the innocence of her youth and beauty, she had laughed at the word sin. She had scoffed at it. What did sin matter? She had said to herself. The only thing was to make the very best of life, to enjoy it with all her power, to grasp its pleasures before they had time to fade. Sin. Why, it was so sheer nonsense. Now, when sin had found her out, when its black trail had entered her life and poisoned it, when its consequences pursuing her were leading her to shame and disgrace, she began to recognize it for what it was. She said to herself that if she could begin life over again, she would be quite different. She would try to be good, like Mattie. She would think less of her own beauty, and if the same temptation came to her again, which had been so artfully offered her once, she would refuse it. She wished with all her heart that she had turned a deaf ear to Lord Vivian's entreaties. I did know it was wrong, she said to herself with unusual candor. I had enough of what was good in me to know that, and I am sorry, really sorry, that I did it. Who knows how much repentance the Father above requires from a soul? Who shall measure his mercy? The terrible tragedy was drawing nearer, and it might be that the sorrow which rose from the poor, weak, vain soul that morning was sufficient to save it. So she lived the time through until Lord Vivian came. She was glad that Lady Linley had arranged for a little gaiety. Meeting him alone would have been simply unendurable. As it was, she met him in a drawing-room half crowded with guests. He found time and opportunity for saying a few words to her. How beautiful you look, Dora. I have never seen you looking so well. I should be flattered at pleasing such fastidious states as yours, she replied. Yes, you do look most lovely, those waves of green and white, and the water lilies in your hair. You look like Undine. Before or after she had found her soul, she asked with a mocking smile. He laughed that low, light laugh for which she hated him. I have never quite made up my mind as to whether women have souls or not, he said. I am inclined to think not. 
if they have, they certainly make queer use of them. Lady Linley, cried the girl to the countess, who was just passing by. What do you imagine Lord Vivianne says? I cannot imagine, replied the countess with a smile. He says he is inclined to believe women have no souls, or if they have, they make queer use of them. The countess looked slightly shocked. Lord Vivian gave one angry look at the spoiled beauty. That is a very dreadful opinion to hold, my lord, said Lady Estelle. Lady Studley is hardly just to me, he replied. She tells you what I say, but she does not tell you, although she knows what led me to form that opinion. The countess looked quickly from one to the other with a grave intentness that did not escape either. There was something more than mere bad nash in this, something which she did not at all understand. Then Lady Doris saw that she had made a mistake in trying to expose him. She must not play with edge tools. Lady Linley left them, not feeling quite satisfied. Why should he speak in that contemptuous manner of women to a woman who was so young, so beautiful? It was not chivalrous. It was not even gentlemanly. And Lady Doris' manner puzzled her too. It was as though she wished to expose Lord Vivian, to make others think evil of him. She could not forget the little circumstance. Yet it must be a fancy of mine, she thought. They have so seldom met, they know so little of each other. There can be nothing but the most commonplace acquaintance between them. Still, it made her curious, and she purposely selected Lord Vivian to take her down to dinner, in order that she might, after a little diplomatic fashion of her own, question him. How do you think Lady Studley is looking? she asked him, when they had a chance for a few quiet words. She was not well at all when we left London. I think her looking as beautiful as it is possible for anyone to look, he replied, and as well. I am glad you think so. It must have been a great privation for her to leave London in the very midst of the season, or, I should say, in the midst of a brilliant finale. Yes, I do not remember of late years anyone who created such a furor as Lady Studley, was his reply. You met her often during the season? Yes, I met her very frequently. It was impossible to go much into society without doing so. She was an unusual favorite. The countess saw plainly that if he admired her, he was not going to say so. She would not be able to get at his real opinion. Yet the very caution of his words and manner, the restraint in his speech, the guarded expression of his face, all told her that she was right in her half-formed fancy. There was something unusual, either on his part or hers, which she could not make out. She could not devote more time to him that evening. The guests were numerous and must be entertained. The gentlemen did not remain long in the dining room, and the drawing room presented a beautiful picture. The lamps were all lighted, 
and shone like huge pearls among the countless flowers the gay dresses and shining jewels of the ladies seemed to shine with unwonted lustre the sweet summer evening was so warm and so fragrant the rich silken hangings were drawn and the long windows were open and from them the countess saw a fairyland of moonlight and flowers i wish we had some music said the earl it only wants that to complete the enchantment doris will you sing she went to the piano and the rich voice floated through the room many who saw her then never forgot her the green and white dress floating round her the water lilies in her golden hair a flush of beautiful face while the rich voice poured out such a strain of melody as few had ever heard equalled they who saw her then and knew what followed did not forget the picture End of chapter 72 Recorded by Gaby Cowan